Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. My name is Randy McCracken. I'm Lindsay Kennedy. I first of all have to apologize very quickly about my audio quality. It's probably sounding a little bit different, and that's because I'm having to use my uh, headphone microphone, and, and that's because we're moving house. I couldn't find the microphone because it's packed away deep under all the boxes. Uh, please bear with us for this episode because we still thought it was worthwhile doing this, even with less audio quality. So for this episode, we are going to do something a little bit different. We are going to discuss five books that we each really enjoyed reading this year. We thought it might be a nice thing to do to cap off our year, but also our listeners may be interested in buying some last-minute Christmas gifts or uh, finding a, a good book to read over the winter break. So in this episode, we are discussing five books each, so 10 total. We will be walking through them one by one and explaining what they're about, why we enjoyed them, and who we would recommend to read them. As well as that, we will have on our show notes a list of these books and then links to uh, purchase them on Amazon as well. Uh, as well as that, we also have reviewed some of these books on our respective blogs, and so we'll post the links to those as well. Randy, I know that for both of us, sometimes a lot of the things that we read are commentaries or, or books that will, or articles that will help us with our teaching or study. And, and we it was a bit hard actually to choose five books that we would recommend more broadly uh, for this episode. So I think you, you actually went back to books before 2018. Isn't that right? Yeah, I did, Lindsay, because I was, I was looking over books that I read this year, and it's not that I didn't read some good books, but uh, I was trying to think of books that really impacted me and books that I would want to recommend on this particular episode that I believe uh, others would get a lot out of. So that's what I've done. Uh, I've looked back not only over this year, but also the last uh, couple of years and uh, called my five favorite resources from probably the last two years of my reading. I restricted myself to books that I read this year simply because last year I actually read quite a few really good books and it would have been really hard to, to reduce it down to five. So I'm going to, in the show notes, include a list of uh, books from 2017 as well that I just thought were were really good reads. So our, our list will probably end up being longer than 10. Yeah, and I'll hasten to point out, Lindsay, that we're not, we're not getting any kind of uh, monetary kickback from this. We're simply doing it because these are books that uh, have really blessed us, and we just want to share them with our listeners. They might make a great Christmas gift for uh, someone who's listening or for a loved one. So uh, we just want to throw them out there as uh, possibilities to consider because of how they've affected us. Okay, well, why don't we begin with the first one? Randy, why don't you take us to your first pick? Right, Lindsay. Yeah, I'm happy to uh, start off. And Before I name my first book, though, I'd just like to say that the heart behind our podcast and calling it Beyond Reading the Bible is that we want to go beyond just reading the scriptures. We want to get deeper into them. Uh, and these books that we've chosen are books that have uh, helped us to get deeper into the Word of God. So we're not simply just trying to uh, advertise the books, but to say that these books have really blessed us in terms of seeing deeper truths in the Word. 
So the first one on my list uh, is a book called The Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. Uh, perhaps some of our listeners are already familiar with this book. Um, Dr. Heiser is a, a scholar in residence at Faith Life Lagos, and uh, if, if anyone out there has Lagos software, they've probably seen advertisements uh, regarding this book. Maybe you've already gotten it, but uh, this uh, book is one of the most impactful I've read over the last few years because it really, it really helped to put a lot of uh, pieces of the biblical puzzle together that I had never seen before. At the beginning of uh, Dr. Heiser's book, he mentions a few purposes uh, for writing it. And uh, the first thing he says is that uh, you're going to learn a, a theology of the unseen world that is the heavenly realm, uh, a, a view that comes from the text, that is the Bible itself. And his, his desire is also that we read the scriptures from the viewpoint of an ancient person, like an ancient Israelite, and we hear the text the way they would have heard it. And uh, when we do that, uh, it opens up our, our eyes to uh, understanding things in the scripture that otherwise, if we're coming at it from our modern presuppositions, we might miss. And we also might wonder, well, why do we need a theology that deals with the heavenly realm? <laughs> well, starting from Genesis 1 and going all the way to Revelation, uh, the Bible actually re reveals quite a bit about the heavenly realm. And I think one of the reasons this book really impacted my life is there's a lot of passages in the scripture that over the years I've just sort of uh, read past and I'm and I've thought that's strange and I really don't know what that means and uh, rather than you know try to dig deeper into it I'm just like I'm going to leave that one alone for now uh, one of the things that Dr. Heiser says toward the beginning of his book is if it's weird it's important <laughs> and uh, he goes on to prove that point uh, one of the things he explores is what he calls God's heavenly household. Uh, and just like God has an earthly family, God also has a heavenly family. And so he talks about the various beings in the heavenly realm. Uh, he talks about the meaning of the Hebrew word Elohim, which, of course, is translated in our English Bibles either as God or as God's. And uh, he has some really insightful comments on the significance of this word and how it's used in Scripture. Uh, other things that he talks about are the significance of the Nephilim. You might remember that strange passage in uh, Genesis chapter 6. And that's one of those passages, even though I teach the book of Genesis, I would uh, teach through those verses as quickly as possible because I thought, who are the Nephilim? Who cares? I don't really understand this. But um, Dr. Heiser shows how uh, the passage on the Nephilim, as well as uh, many other passages related to them, really fit into the overall story of Scripture. Uh, and the end result is he, he shows how both Old Testament and New Testament connect together. And he shows how the heavenly realm uh, plays such a significant part of the story of the Bible. And it really helped me to better understand the spiritual world and the spiritual warfare that we face as Christians. 
Uh, and some of the passages uh, that, that Paul writes in the New Testament, and probably the most famous is Ephesians 6, where he talks about how we need to put on the spiritual armor because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Well, these kinds of passages took on much greater significance after uh, having read Dr. Heiser's book. So I'd highly recommend it. And uh, for some people, uh, this book might seem to be a little bit scholarly. It's full of footnotes and references to scholarly literature, but I think it's really written in quite an accessible way. But Dr. Heiser's also written a book entitled Supernatural, which is about the very same subject matter. He's just put it on more of a popular level. And so if the unseen realm uh, might seem too intimidating because it is a little more academic, then uh, I would encourage uh, our listeners to go, go check out uh, Supernatural. You'll get a lot of the same ideas and teaching, uh, as I said, on a more popular level. Yeah, Randy, that is a great first choice. Uh, I can agree with you that Unseen Realm, when I read that, I think it might have been last year for me, uh, when I read that book, it and, and his other works um, really revolutionize a lot of how I read the scripture. And it, for me, a, a sign of a good book is one that gets me thinking new questions and probing new issues of study. And for me, this one was huge, uh, probably more so than any of the other books on the list. In fact, uh, I think I would tentatively say that if our listeners were to buy one of these books or to re read one of these books, I would recommend it be this one in terms of the most impact it will probably have on the way that they think and read scripture. Uh, it's not to say that I agree with everything he has to say, and I think you probably agree there, Randy, that there's a few points we'd probably quibble with him on them. But it's just a really, really thoughtful and uh, challenging book and very provocative. Yeah, I really agree, Lindsay. Um, this book would also be at the top of my list, and that's, I suppose, why I mentioned it first. And uh, while we may not agree with absolutely everything in the book, as you mentioned, uh, it ties so many things together that it is well worth uh, the money spent. Well, I'm going to move on to my first selection, uh, which is a book called The Divine Christ by David Capes. He wrote a book in the 90s. It was quite an influential book. I think it was his uh, PhD dissertation. Uh, then he published it as a book. But it's about Paul's view on Christ. And this book, The Divine Christ, is really him representing his viewpoint in light of the decades of reflection that he's had and the other scholars that have interacted with it and so on. So this book came out recently, but it's really representing uh, some of the content he's already put in a book from years ago. And the big idea here is that Paul very readily applied what he calls Yahweh texts to Jesus. And so because of that, on that basis, we can say that Paul saw Jesus as, as being divine or one with God of, within the identity of God, or however you want to say it. Uh, but just to clarify, a Yahweh text would be one where if you read in the Old Testament, it's a passage that used the personal name of God that we in our English translations have in the capitalized L-O-R-D, Lord. Uh, in the Hebrew, that's the, the letters Y-H-W-H which we most likely think was pronounced Yahweh. So those are texts where it's it's definitely the God, the creator God, the God of Israel that's in view here, the one God that rules over all others. But here, those texts are being used by Paul in the New Testament, and he's very quickly and easily applying them to Jesus. And so that's, that's kind of the thesis of the book here. 
Uh, to give you one example, um, that classic passage in Philippians 2, at the very climax of it, talking about Jesus, who was in uh, the very form of God and so on. The very climax, it says, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, that passage in its larger context, when you read it, that's it's actually alluding to the Old Testament into the book of Isaiah. And in that context, it's very clearly uh, the Lord Yahweh himself is saying, no one saves but me and every knee will bow to me. That is the God of Israel. And so here Paul is saying every knee will bow to Jesus. And so for, for Paul, he sees no problem applying these passages to Jesus. And that's sort of the, the big argument of the book. Uh, there's a lot more to be said about it than just quoting one passage. But the idea here is, is that we can learn so much about who Jesus is and who Paul believed him to be by looking at how he uses the Old Testament passages about the Lord, how he applies them to Jesus. Uh, I would recommend this really to anyone who's interested in biblical studies, anyone who found that description interesting. Uh, if you're intrigued by how the New Testament quotes or alludes to the Old Testament, uh, this book is full of that. And then also, if you're interested in uh, Christology, that is the study of Jesus and what the Bible says about Jesus and his divinity and, and who he is, this would be a good book for that. It is a, a little bit more on the scholarly level or sort of a mid-range difficulty. So depending on, on the reader and, and where you're feeling comfortable with things, he does refer to Hebrew and Greek, uh, but it's usually pretty easy to, to tell what he's talking about in the context um, of his argument. So it's not like you need to really know those languages, but it is a little bit more rigorous than your average book. So that's my first recommendation. Yeah, that sounds really good, Lindsay. Um, I think any any book that um, explores the relationship of Jesus as God and what the Bible has to say about it is really significant. And uh, I haven't personally read this book, but it sounds like a really good one. Uh, I actually have a uh, another book I want to suggest that sort of falls in line with that. So. Um, Maybe I'll just jump to that particular book. It's called Honoring the Sun by Larry Hurtado. Um, this is a book that I just read this year, and it's really a very short book. It's only 95 pages long. And at first I wondered, how much can I get out of a 95-page book? <laughs> but actually, this is a short summary of uh, Dr. Hurtado's views uh, on how the earliest Christians viewed Jesus and who they thought he was. Uh, the reason this is significant is that there are um, scholars out there, one who's really well-known, Bart Ehrman, uh, teaching that the early Christians didn't actually believe that Jesus was God. Hurtado's book is sort of a, uh, a summary of his writings over the last 30 to 40 years uh, on this topic and, and demonstrating very convincingly that we can go back to the earliest times and uh, see from evidence in Scripture that uh, the early Christians were already uh, equating Jesus with God. Uh, one of the reasons this is really significant is you might <laughs> recall that from the book of Acts, the earliest believers were all Jewish. And Hurtado shows very clearly in this book that uh, while Jews believed in other uh, heavenly beings, and uh, while they may have thought well of certain figures like, say, uh, the mysterious figure Melchizedek in the Old Testament, 
none of these figures were ever worshipped. And so it's really quite extraordinary that uh, the early Jewish believers would begin to worship Jesus as God. Uh, Hurtado even suggests that perhaps one of the reasons for the early persecution of uh, believers by their fellow Jews had to do with the fact that these these early believers were already worshiping Jesus as God. Uh, it may also be what uh, in, uh, caused offense to the Apostle Paul when he was known as Saul at the time and was persecuting the church. So it's a really fascinating book. It's a, it's a quick read, 95 pages, but really well worth it to uh, any who have never read anything by uh, Larry Hurtado. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about what the scripture has to say uh, regarding Jesus as God, great little book. And it goes hand in hand, Lindsay, with, with the book that uh, you just recommended by David Capes. Yeah, that's great. That's a, definitely another solid work. It's actually a little bit similar to David Cape's book, uh, though shorter, definitely. But it's similar in that here's this really solid scholar who's been writing on this issue for a long time. So summarizing his life's work up until that point. So uh, with that, I'm going to jump into my second recommendation, which is a book that's quite different. Uh, actually, a little bit more similar to Heiser's work, but it's called The Biblical Cosmos by an author called Robin Parry. Uh, this is definitely one of those books that inspires thought for me. Uh, I've been reading it very slowly, actually, for about a year because I'm I'm going through it very slowly. Uh, and even though I don't definitely don't agree with everything he's arguing, uh, I do think that his big picture is is right on, and it's very interesting. Uh, so the thesis is that we modern readers we misread the Bible when we assume that the biblical writers saw the world in our modern scientific categories and that they wrote in response or in responding to our modern debates and our modern questions. Uh, rather, he's saying we need to understand the ancient mindset of the biblical writers and then the surrounding cultures and then reread the Bible in light of that in the way that speaks of the biblical cosmos. And so, for example, the way that they saw the world, we we often, when we think of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we usually think uh, from the perspective of, let's say, like Google Earth or Google Maps or something where you have this globe and you're kind of imagining uh, things from outside in space and all the rest. But the biblical writers are looking more from the perspective of someone standing on the earth, looking up and thinking that, the, that there's waters above the sky and the waters are being held up by a solid dome and things like that. Now that's a very common view in the ancient Near East and it seems to be what scripture is reflecting as well. Which then leads to the question, if that's what we would consider scientifically wrong, quote unquote wrong, how are we supposed to think about what scripture says on these issues then? Is the scripture not infallible or inerrant if it talks about things that, that we know are quote unquote incorrect? And that's maybe where I, I think I disagree with him a little bit um, on some of his conclusions. I'm still actually reading the book, but it's such a good one that I had to recommend it. Uh, but what he does that's so good is that he's really keeping his comments grounded in the text most of the time. So most of the time he's really just saying, read this passage and, and notice what it's saying and think about that and let's talk about it. And so it's very grounded in scripture. So I that's why I recommend it because it it's just bringing evidence after evidence from the scripture about how we should see the 
the world. And the thing that, that I've really enjoyed from it is reading this uh, in light of reading uh, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, of all things, where he's saying a lot of the same things as this author, actually, about the world and the cosmos and all the rest. And so they're both capturing an ancient way of seeing the world. And the thing that I really like about this book is that he's not so much saying uh, the Bible's wrong and we should just discard this, but he's saying, what if we inhabited the worldview that they had? And what if we see the world the way they do in a way that doesn't have to conflict with what we see in uh, through scientific discovery, but rather we need to just look at the world differently and we need to look at it uh, in this theological way of seeing the world. So very thought-provoking for me. I'm still uh, trying to figure out exactly what I think about all of it. Uh, it's a very readable book, which is another positive thing. It, it's, it's actually quite humorous in places and it's really, really easy to read. So I would hand this book really to any Christian who that I would think would be okay to read a book like this and not uh, lose their faith, for example, uh, in having some of their presuppositions challenged. Um, so I definitely make a few disclaimers and encourage them to read the book with an open mind and their Bible in their other hand uh, and maybe discuss it with them as they work through it. But I do wish that more Christians would uh, think about what the scripture has to say about the way that the world is, as in the heaven, the earth, and under the earth, and all these categories that scripture uses. I think that it'd be really great if Christians were to adopt this way of, of seeing the world, uh, because I think that we miss a lot when we just come with our modern presuppositions instead of reading the text for what it says on its own accord. Yeah, I've noticed one thing, Lindsay, that, that ties the books together that we're recommending is that uh, they have to do with encouraging people to understand the culture of the ancient world and trying to read the Bible from that perspective. And I think that's very important. It's natural that we come to the Bible with our own presuppositions. And uh, we think that people have always thought like us. But in fact, that's not the case. And, and biblical scholars these days are really encouraging people to uh, understand the ancient world and the way they looked at things and to read the Bible through their eyes. And I think that's very important. And this is one of those topics along those lines uh, the view of the cosmos uh, that's important. We talk about it in my Genesis class. And though I haven't read this particular book, I have read other books uh, on this topic and would encourage our readers to uh, get into something like that. Well, um, I guess I'll, I'll press ahead then uh, with my next recommendation, Lindsay. And uh, this is another book by Michael Heiser. It was just written or just came out this year. It's entitled Angels. Very simple title, although there's a subtitle to it. Uh, but this is a book that's a follow-up. And it's not simply a rehashing of the unseen realm. What this book does is focus more on uh, the heavenly beings. So Heiser explores the Bible's language about heavenly beings. He looks at both the Old and New Testament, but he also looks at the, the Jewish literature that uh, was written in what we call the intertestamental period or Second Temple Judaism period. Uh, and he shows how there was a development in the understanding of heavenly beings. And uh, uh, he, he really investigates um, and debunks some myths about angels. He tries to demonstrate uh, the difference between angels and other heavenly beings. So, for example... 
um, we're used to talking about cherubim and maybe seraphim, and we tend to think of them in terms of angels. But Heiser points out that the term angel is never applied to these beings, that they are actually uh, beings that are seen as guarding the throne of God, and they are different from angels. One of the things that he points out is he, he differentiates be between uh, terms that describe nature, that is, what the heavenly hosts are or what they are like, and other terms that describe status, or in other words, hierarchical ranking. You know, we talk about angels, we talk about archangels, uh, and there does seem to be a hierarchical rank amongst the heavenly beings. And then he uh, dis differentiates between terms of function, and that is, what do the various heavenly beings do? And I think that the book, just for those distinctions, uh, the nature, the status, the function of heavenly beings, makes the book well worthwhile. I learned so much from, uh, from reading that, and it just added to my knowledge uh, from what I'd already gained through the Unseen Realm. So highly recommend that. This one, uh, Dr. Heiser refers to Hebrew and Greek. It is a little more technical. It's not as popularly written, but... Uh, I think that anyone who's really interested in learning more on this topic will will benefit from it. Yeah, I would agree with that, Randy. I really liked this book as well. I read it this year. I think that it works really well alongside Unseen Realm. They both address different things. And while Unseen Realm is very broad, this book on angels is a lot more specific. And so uh, they're both well worth reading. And so we'd, I'd recommend both of them for different reasons. So uh, moving on to my third one. I'm recommending a book. This one's a little bit more uh, unique as well, which is, it's got a long title. It's Reading Ephesians and Colossians After Supersessionism. So there you go. I, I maybe just lost half of our listeners, but it's, I think this one for me was very enlightening. Uh, it's, it's something like a commentary, but it's a little bit like a monograph, like a standalone book uh, that's not trying to be a commentary. It doesn't cover each verse uh, much like a commentary, but it does look at uh, Ephesians sort of in sections and walk through those passages. What he's trying to do is read Ephesians and Colossians from what's called a post-supersessionist viewpoint, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, he's primarily doing Ephesians. Colossians is, has its, uh, just like one chapter at the end or one or two, I think. This whole idea of supersessionism is really the idea that Christianity replaced Judaism or that the church replaced Israel. It's really ideas like that. So the idea that God set aside Israel in, in all its forms and all the rest um, and has now moved to the church or that there's no uh, benefit to Judaism or that Judaism really, God's completely done with the Jews and all the rest. It's ideas like that. It's not to be confused with uh, dispensationalism. If our listeners are familiar with that term, that's something a related but different concept. In fact, most, I think, maybe even all of the authors of this series are, are not uh, dispensationalists. Um, in fact, some of them are Messianic Jews, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to see how if we reread the New Testament in light of uh, the Jewish people having an important role in this story, which of course they do in the story of salvation, uh, there's a lot of insight to be gained from rereading the New Testament in that way. And sometimes it gets lost because uh, the church has become so uh, non-Jewish, really. It's become very um, changed over the years just by uh, 
just time and the fact that most Christians are not Jewish. And so it's trying to get back into the history and theology of the New Testament, the fact that most of the authors of the New Testament were themselves Jews and, and rereading the Bible in that light. So what makes this book unique is that it's a very theological reading of Ephesians, mostly, a little bit of Colossians, and it really pays close attention to the dynamics between the Jews and Gentiles in those letters. Uh, and I was quite surprised. I've been a Christian my whole life. I've been reading the Bible basically my whole life. And I had not noticed uh, a lot of the points that he makes. A lot of them I would think are indisputable. Now I, I look at those points that the author made and think I could never, uh, I think it would be very unlikely that I'd be convinced that, that his insights were wrong. And yet I've never seen these things because I've not been paying attention to Jew-Gentile dynamics. And so, very interesting book. Again, like all the other books are recommended, they really provoke a lot of thought. And even if I don't agree with every conclusion that he came to, it's making me rethink a lot of what I had assumed. Uh, so this is one amongst a series. There's three books released so far in this series. But for me, this one was the best. I've actually read all three. But this is the best one uh, for me so far. So I'd really recommend this book to anyone who's uh, teaching, studying through Ephesians, Colossians. It's still a little bit on the uh, more scholarly side, so it's a little bit more of a mid-range difficulty like some of the other books. Uh, but anyone who's who's interested in the relationship between Jew and Gentile and Christ and how the gospel was passed on by the apostles and them being Jews, what does that mean? What Why is that important? Um, what about the, the future of the Jews and so on? The, these books uh, really get into that topic. Lindsay, our readers are going to think that that we've really planned uh, this back and forth between our books because it's amazing how one segues into the next. But honestly, we haven't planned it at all. <laughs> um, the book of Romans uh, has so much to say about this uh, Jew-Gentile relationship as well. And uh, as I teach through the book of Romans every spring, I've really been impressed with the Jew-Gentile language. And um, the next book that I want to review doesn't focus on that, but it, it is a book about the structure of Romans by Paul Fowler. And this was a book I read uh, a, a year ago, Spring, and it really impacted me, and it honestly changed uh, the way I look at the book of Romans. Now, it didn't change a lot of the essential teachings of the book, but it really did give me a framework that for the first time made sense of the book. One of the things that Fowler points out is that Romans is full of questions. And I had kind of noticed that as you read through the book, it's quite natural. Paul seems to frequently be asking questions. Uh, but by Fowler's count, and he's counting uh, from the Greek text, he says there's about 88 questions in the letter to the Romans. That's a, that's a lot of questions. And what he suggests is that the questions uh, are placed there by Paul as a guide to understanding the message. Uh, in particular, he says that the questions found in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, provide an outline for the rest of the letter. And interestingly enough, they provide a chiastic outline. So for our listeners who know what a chiasm is, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to our lesson on chiasms, an earlier episode that we did. Um, but um, so what Fowler is saying is that by looking at Romans 3, 1 through 9, 
uh, and the questions and answers that are made there, Paul actually revisits each of these questions. Uh, and while he gives brief answers in chapter three, he expands on those answers throughout the rest of the book. And he takes the questions in reverse order. I noticed through my study of Romans that Paul often seemed to come back to a discussion that he had had earlier in the letter. And now I understand why with the outline that uh, Fowler provides. He's not actually providing it. I guess Paul did, but he's the one who's sort of uh, setting forth the structure and showing how the book makes sense. So as I said, this book has uh, revolutionized my understanding of Romans and it's not a full commentary. In fact, it's a fairly thin book. Um, don't remember exactly how many pages, but, you know, somewhere around the 170, 190 page range. Um, and uh, so it's not a full blown commentary, but he does give insights into the various uh, sections of Romans as well as providing the structure for it. That sounds really good, Randy. You've recommended this book to me a few times and I have still not yet read it, but I'm a huge uh, fan of Romans and very interested in reading what he has to say. So I'll have to add that to my list, I think. Yeah, put it on your Christmas list. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on to my, my fourth one, I'm going to be recommending uh, a Hebrew grammar book, uh, which just to be different, but it's it's called Learning Biblical Hebrew by Carl Kutz and Rebecca Josberger. Uh, I've been relearning Hebrew. In fact, Randy uh, was my Hebrew teacher. I took two semesters of Hebrew when I was at Bible college, but unfortunately I didn't do a lot of work with it ever since uh, in terms of keeping it up. So I'm relearning it in seminary, and this book has been really helpful for me um, in that journey. It It's uh, yet another Hebrew grammar book, but it, I think it's quite exceptional in a few ways. First of all, uh, Kar Kutz, one of the authors, actually has a, a great reputation for being a very, very good Hebrew teacher. I think you can see that in, in this book. Uh, but both authors, I don't know exactly how they put this book together, but they're clearly uh, very, very good at communicating. They're very clear. They've put in a lot of work to make Hebrew as understandable as it can be for a student. Um, and they, I also think they express the content in quite creative ways. For, uh, for a good example is um, one of the Hebrew forms, uh, some letters switch around. And it's a kind of a strange thing, and it's a bit weird to uh, to a new student of Hebrew, but they call this the Peschetti rule. And for me, uh, you know, they talk about how children, when they struggle to learn English, they, they say Peschetti instead of spaghetti. And for me, just calling it the Peschetti rule means I've completely mastered the rule. I completely understand it now. I'm not going to forget because it was just so memorable. And uh, that's just a great example of how this, this book is quite different. Um, it's really beautifully bound to its hardcover and it's just laid out really nice on the internals with nice color and all the rest. And so I'm, I'm really in, in love with this book, I have to say. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes a standard for Hebrew grammars, for um, Hebrew teachers and so on. So I'd really recommend this to anyone who teaches Hebrew and, uh, and really anyone who's willing to try and teach themselves. I think I've worked through some teach yourself uh, language books and, and so on. I've, I've gone through some of them before and for me this is the most clear and easy to understand. Uh, they're also bringing out a workbook in um, early 2019 so if you want to learn on your own again that you get given some homework and all the rest through this workbook. So uh, now I have to make a disclaimer as well before I, I 
push it back to you, Randy, that I actually do some work for Lexham Press, which is the publisher of this book. Uh, I was actually reluctant to include this book simply bec because of that. I didn't want there to be any sort of conflict of interest, but this book is just so good that I felt like I needed to include on the list. So I'm not getting paid for recommending this, uh, though I do get paid for other things that I do for them. But I just, I really, really am excited about this book. Well, I don't work for Lexham, Lindsay, but I would highly recommend it also. Um, I received a copy of it. And uh, just looking through the way it's laid out, the, the diagrams and the charts that they have, the large lettering, uh, it's just really uh, an excellent book and really well done. And I look forward to uh, actually spending more time with it. Uh, the next time I, I teach Hebrew, I definitely want to use it at least as a resource for myself, uh, because I think that I can learn a lot from it. They, they explain some of the basics uh, of the rules. Lots of times when a student's taken a new language, they're like, well, why does it do that? Or why is it written like that? And they're really good at uh, giving simple but uh, well-spoken definitions to those types of questions. Well, uh, Lindsay, my next book um, that uh, I would recommend, which is, in fact, my final book, uh, is entitled Honor, Patronage, Kinship, and Purity. And it's by David De Silva. And this is actually a book that uh, has been around for a few years. And you and I have used it as a basis for a few of our podcasts. But it's a groundbreaking book. Uh, on understanding first century culture and how that helps to illuminate the New Testament. And therefore, I just thought it's really an important book to recommend to our listeners. So here we have another book saying how important it is that, that we learn uh, the culture and the world of the Bible. But this book really opened my eyes to things in the New Testament that I would never have understood or seen uh, were it not for the fact that uh, Dr. De Silva here is teaching us about first century culture. So on this podcast, we've recorded episodes uh, directly influenced by this book, as I mentioned. For instance, our podcast on honor and shame and our podcast on patronage. Uh, and we attempted to show how these concepts were part of the first century world, but how um, these ideas are incorporated into scripture and how they can help us to better understand biblical passages and biblical concepts. And I'm pretty sure on those podcasts we actually put uh, Dr. De Silva's uh, book up so that uh, people, so that he would get credit for that, and so that people could actually purchase the book at that time. But again, I just thought it was a significant enough book to uh, make it one of my five recommendations. Well, I'll move on to my final one. Uh, my final choice is a book called The Way of Life uh, by Toby, I think it's Janiki. I'm sorry if I've mispronounced the name. This book is quite unique because it's it's actually a commentary on the Didache, which again, I, I hope I didn't mispronounce that, but that's an early Christian writing. Uh, I'll explain that in a second, but this is a commentary on the Didache from a Messianic Jewish perspective. So it's quite a niche book in, in that regards, but it isn't, and that's what I'm going to say in a second here, which is uh, it's not that much of a niche book, even though it might sound like it is. Uh, first of all, the Didache is its also known as the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. It's a really fascinating early Christian 
discipleship guide, really, or a catechism. Uh, it deals with things like ethics, uh, the ordinances like baptism and Lord's Supper, and it even has a section on eschatology. Uh, you can read it online for free. Just Google the Didache. Um, it's spelled D-I-D-A-C-H-E. Uh, you can read it online. It's, it's really interesting. It's one of the early Christian writings that's not in the New Testament. Some date it as late as around 150 AD, but others actually think that it's very old, uh, so old that it even predates some of the New Testament books. Um, some authors think that it's, uh, it actually is inspired by the apostolic decree of Acts 15, and that that is the uh, seed that began this document. And so it's quite interesting. Whatever viewpoint uh, you take, it's still a very, very good book to read. It, it reveals a lot about the early church and how they did things practically and how, what they believed about behavior. So it reads a lot like some of the New Testament letters. Uh, now, the other point about it, as I mentioned, it's it's from a Messianic Jewish perspective, but don't be put off by that and assume that it is a very much a niche book or that it's only for that audience, or even that it's not a strong work of scholarship. It actually is a very strong work of scholarship. Uh, I've read some uh, Didache scholars have praised this book as being a very solid work on the Didache. What's unique about it being from a Messianic Jewish perspective is that the author includes a lot of parallel literature from rabbis that speaks quite similarly to this letter. And so he's saying, this document, it's it's Jewish, and let's look at what Jews were saying around that time, or what, what later Jewish rabbis said about these same topics, and, and he's sort of drawing parallels there as well. He also connects it, of course, to the New Testament and other early Christian writings. So I really enjoyed this. I actually read it uh, in my morning quiet time, I'd pray, read some scripture, and read this because it was quite edifying and enjoyable for me. Uh, so it's definitely very readable, but there's a lot of good solid footnotes and good scholarship that goes beyond it as well. And it's another book that's really beautifully bound. It's hardcover and uh, includes the Greek of the Didache and then the English next to it. And so they've really put in a lot of work to make this a beautiful book. So that's my last recommendation. Great, Lindsay. Yeah, uh, hopefully this is a, a list that our, our listeners find interesting, and maybe there's a, at least one out of the ten that really strikes your fancy and that you would be uh, wanting to pick up for the new year. Uh, it's been fun, I know, just talking about these different books, Lindsay, and it's been fun uh, for me hearing about some of these books that you've read that I haven't read. So uh, thanks for that. and. Uh, I think we'll wrap this episode up. We just want to thank everyone who has been faithful to listen to our podcast over this past year and uh, wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, may God bless you all. And we hope that you'll tune in next time for our next episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. For more episodes and links to resources for each episode, visit our page beyondreadingthebible.com. We hope you enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoy making it. Any review that you want to leave on iTunes or Google Play or any share on social media would go a huge way towards getting the word out there. This podcast requires a chunk of time in research and writing, recording, editing, promotion. It even has some financial costs. So if you enjoy this podcast, please consider joining our community at Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash mydigitalseminary. For the price of a cup of coffee, you could make a big difference. Music is by Heritage. Their music can be found at heritage.com. And I need to mention that the A in Heritage is a V. Randy McCracken can be found at BibleStudyWithRandy.com. And I can be found at MyDigitalSeminary.com. 